The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. This is the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast. Exclusively on the Herd App Media Network. Tell it to me straight up. Hello. And welcome in to the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast, proudly part of the Hale Varsity Network. I am Greg Smith, your, I think I finally have everything straight after a very crazy, like, couple of weeks that's been way busier than, like, the offseason had been. Um, there's that little adjustment period that kind of throws me off, um, which is more information about my workflow than you guys wanted to know. Uh, but today, I'm joined by word writer for Hale Varsity and Varsity Club host, Derek Peterson. Derek, thank you for being on the show. How are you? I'm good. It's, uh... It's wet and rainy and a little moody in Chicago, so um, it's a nice reprieve from we had a little bit of heat that was making it not fun, but it means I don't get to go play basketball today, so we're breaking <laughs> a string of like four or five days of actually being active instead of just sitting inside all day long. Okay, well, that, that's good. Uh, we, we like activity around here on Straight Up Breakdown Podcast. Like, have you been progressively getting better with your hoop skills? Like, are you trying to get better or are you just trying to get some run in? So I have no left hand, none okay. whatsoever. I'm right hand dominant. Uh, and I taught myself the last day I was out, uh, I taught myself a little spin over my right shoulder, left hand scoop shot. Okay. And I was like, I was like big happy because it was going in. And I was like, all right, we're going to make 20 of these in a row before we move on to something else. And it took a couple minutes before I could start stringing some together. But then I made 20 in a row. And I was like, I actually taught myself something today i feel accomplished so like we're we're adding i'm not jacob padilla out here but we're adding stuff but you are adding stuff to your bag i think we can say now that you have a bag like you also there is at least one move there so you have i also bag. hadn't picked up a basketball uh in probably two or three years yeah probably it's, probably at least two years i can't remember the last time i actually picked up the basketball which is not like it's not necessarily on purpose. I do like to play basketball. I just haven't, like maybe it honestly is a super weird, but like it may have been one of those times where like that three on three tournament was happening in the rail yard. And before they set up, we were all down there just kind of shooting around. Like, I think that happened. Like, and so I think that that was the last time that I actually touched a basketball, which has now probably been two or three years. Yeah. See, like my old apartment complex didn't have, a basketball court. When I was growing up, I had a basketball hoop in my driveway. So I was out there every single night. And then when I was in college, uh, we had like a, a activity center that we all had access to. So we just went to that every day. But then I moved out here and like, I had a Y close to me that I would try to go to. Um, but then, you know, obviously COVID hit and I wasn't going to a gym. I was just using the, the apartment gym cause it was smaller. 
Um, but yeah, it's a, we have a, we have a nice kind of fenced in, uh, basketball area at my new complex and, uh, I'm enjoying it. I made a friend, I made a new friend. He's six and he can shoot on, (laughs) he can shoot on a full-size basketball hoop with a full-size basketball. So he is, uh, he's already better than I am. So he's ahead of the curve. I like making money moves out here. (laughs) <laughs> I like it. Maybe he can teach you your next thing to put into your bag. No, see, my plan is he's going to be uh, the Thunder's first round draft pick in like 15 years, whenever they finally use up all of their first round picks. <laughs> they might and, still uh, have some. Then I'm gonna have. Then I'm gonna have a best buddy that can give me NBA tickets and and help out with watches and cars and stuff like that. That is a sound strategy. I like where your head's at. Um, Now, each week we have a couple of segments that are mainstays of the show. The first one is called Coach Speak, where we go over something that a coach player or a talking head said, and then we give you the straight up breakdown of what they meant. Coach Speak to real talk. Um, This week comes courtesy of Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, who has somehow made it onto the show quite a bit. But this time it is for a good reason. Superstar quarterback uh, credited Simone Biles for having courage and said, quote, I give Simone so much credit for her ability to speak the truth, her truth, and to answer tough questions and to have the courage to say, quote, I'm scared or I don't feel like I should be out there, Roger said in the interview with The Ringer. Uh, People of all ages and professions are dealing with mental issues, especially during COVID. It's something that we should be talking about in ways to help people get through it, whether it's techniques or therapy or just conversations, letting people know that they are not alone. And that's what Simone did. I'm very, very proud of her. So, Derek, I, it's not necessarily even what does that mean, but what are your thoughts in hearing Aaron Rodgers say that? Well, it's cool. Um, you, you know, the last line of that was let people know they're not alone. Um, Simone got a lot of blowback for what she did and for what she said and for what she prioritized. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure athletes don't necessarily pay attention to what, you know, like the Charlie Kirks of the world say. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's hard to block out the uh, blowback, to block out the negativity. And, you know, I think we have a local example of that here with with Adrian Martinez's podcast. He's talked about that a lot. You just have to learn to kind of block that stuff out. And it's hard. It's a it's a process. You have to continually um, train your your mind to do. And so, like, not that she needed Aaron Rodgers to come to her defense or not that Simone needed Aaron Rodgers to uh, I guess validate what she was saying or feeling, but um, you know, for somebody with his stature, um, somebody with his sort of name recognition to, to, to sort of kind of be in her corner. Um, that's, I think that's important. I think it's important for um, people that have sort of, you know, because like Aaron specifically with this off season, he directly experienced um, what, what can be sort of the, the other side of intense media attention right. with what was going on with his contract situation and, and all that other stuff. So like he knows probably intimately um, what it's like to, to sort of experience the lowest of the lows of, of athletic superstardom um, and, and probably has an idea of what that's like living in that. Um, and so, you know, I, I just think like, you know, you, you go back to like Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan a couple years ago in the NBA talking about mental health, Dak Prescott, um, a year or two ago with the Dallas Cowboys talking about it. I think the more athletes come out and say, yeah, we're dealing with this stuff too. Um, you know, it, 
from from our perspective on the outside looking in it just it further humanizes both professional and collegiate athletes which i feel like is a is a big um it's it's an important thing that needs to be done we're kind of making progress but um there's still a lot of work to be done but but from their perspective i think it's sort of you know i think it sort of signifies exactly what he said like you are you know other athletes are are dealing with this too you're not alone and yes you might get blowback from you know people outside your world that don't necessarily know what you you put in day in and day out but the people that are experiencing this stuff with you right alongside you like we get it and and we understand and there are no hard feelings or or, or anything like that so i think you know like like i said it's not necessarily that Simone Biles needs other athletes to come out and validate um, her, what she says, what she feels, because just from an accomplishment standpoint, she's one of the most accomplished (laughs) athletes in the history of sports. Um, But like, I I think just to have that sort of, that sort of community, which maybe not, maybe isn't the right word, but I can't think of the right word, but just that community of athletes to, to, to sort of have in your corner and know like, yeah, we have gone through this stuff, you know, we understand what you're saying and what you're going through. Yeah. And I think that, I, I think that you're right. And a lot of that, all of that. Um, but I do think that there is something to, and I'm glad you brought this up, like kind of the humanizing of athletes. And we've seen it kind of throughout the college and professional ranks. And it, it's starting, like I said, but we still have a ways to go. But I think that sometimes it's easy. It feels like it's easy for people, whether it's, you know, fans or kind of your pundits that just want to yell into the void um, to make whatever point they're trying to make, like there's a disconnect in thinking or realizing that these athletes, no matter their accomplishments, and in this particular case, we're talking about a very accomplished person, um, goes through all of the same struggles that the rest of us go through, right? Like Simone Biles being the greatest like gymnast of all time does not like insulate her from having feelings, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't make that go away. And I always, to me, I find it strange that people act as if that's the case, as if suddenly because you have X amount of dollars or you have X skills that you don't go through things that other people go through. And I, and this is where I'm, I'm happy that Aaron made the correlation to with COVID because I, and I think I'm pretty sure you and I talked about this like off pod that one of the things that you hoped came out of COVID was that people came together and kind of the, we all went through this and it was a shared suffering kind of deal. And there are things that are going to be different and better because of it. Don't necessarily think we're getting that. It was a whole different (laughs) subject altogether, but I feel like that does exist when it comes to these athletes coming out and making the statements like Simone did, like Serena Williams has before. And when talking about postpartum and coming back from having a baby, you know that there are a lot of women that identified with her on that the same way. There's a lot of people that identify with Simone the same where there are people that look at Kevin Love and go, man, like if that's what I'm feeling too, right? Like I do think that there is something to that because you've seen a lot of people come out, whether it's other athletes that are at the Olympics right now, or it's just other athletes that aren't there, other people you've just seen on Twitter that say, okay, like she can say this and has the courage to go go through it and then actually put words to her or put it out there in public. Um, 
then maybe it's okay that it's happening to me and I can try to figure this out too. I, I wish that there were, like, I understand why we have to also beat back the idiots out there, but there are also a, a great deal of people that have taken some level of solace in her even speaking up about this, um, which in the long roundabout way is a positive thing to come out of it. Yeah. I think another positive too is, um, and, and I understand probably not everyone is going to feel the same way that I do, which is fine. But I think like this is sort of exposing or this particular Olympics has sort of exposed some of the warts of the way the Olympics are structured and set up and, and organized each year. So like, I, do you listen to uh, the Hoop Collective podcast with Brian Windhorst? I have not in a while. So he's in Tokyo or he was in Tokyo for USA basketball. And he was sort of talking about his experience getting over there. Um, They, because they don't have sort of the access to the vaccines that we have here in the United States, they are like, this is our rule book. You are following the rules or we are not letting you into the country. And so there was like, he, he told the story of one guy that was on his flight who you have to have a COVID test within 72 hours of boarding your plane. And this guy had a COVID test that was 20 minutes outside of that range, but he didn't realize it until he had already boarded his plane from the United States to fly to Tokyo. He gets to Tokyo. They realize the mistake. He has to fly back to the United States, take a COVID test. It has to come back negative. And then he flies back to Tokyo. They wouldn't let him stay and take the test there. He had to fly back to the United States. So like they are real sticklers for the rules right now, understandably. So Um, Windhorse was talking about how like his, his situation right now, he can only eat food at the like Seven Eleven that's near his hotel. That's all he can eat is just this one spot. He can't go anywhere. He can't do anything. He can't see anyone because he has to be like quarantined in his hotel to be able to like, I, I guess be, attending media at some of these events. Um, he talked about how like we are in Tokyo, but for all intents and purposes, we're not in the country. We're not in Tokyo. We're just kind of here. And so like you think about it from that perspective for the media people, I can only imagine what it's like for the athletes who are there who don't have fans in the stands right. for one, who have to go through all the, these quarantine procedures. Like it, this is probably not an easy thing where, you know, having the USA crest on your chest or wherever it might be on your uniform is like all the motivation that you need to get up and go do the thing that you need to do. Like, I imagine that this is a very difficult task and a very difficult thing to be asking these athletes to do. I was, I saw um, a video of sort of Olympic park from Rio 2016 mm-hmm. and it's, it's just destroyed. Like it's abandoned. It looks like, um, I mean, it, it looks like what is the what is the nuclear holocaust place in Ukraine? Not oh, Holocaust, Chernobyl. Chernobyl yes, yeah. thank you. It looks it looks a little bit like that. Yeah. There's just nobody around, completely uninhabited. And I was like, these this stuff. I feel like we need to kind of tweak it a little bit. And I hope with Simone saying like, hey, this is not easy to go through what we're going through right now. This is this is a difficult time for us. Maybe the Olympic committee or whoever decides this stuff will will sort of change things up a little bit moving forward and not like ship these people off to one like very closed off area. And 
I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling. I, it just feels like there's a a better way to do that. Yeah, and it feels like there's been you know some some warts exposed with with the games. I don't know. We'll but see. I, I always feel like that though, because I've I've seen that the pictures and video of Rio that you reference, and it looks wild considering what it looked like during the Olympics. It's I mean that's going to happen in Tokyo too. Like it basically happens almost everywhere, right? Um, and because I and I was watching was it baseball maybe, and they're they're showing it. And there's no people in the stands, and they you realize that they built these stadiums to be able to do this. And so you've got to figure out something to do with those things later on down the road. But I can't imagine because the one thing that you didn't mention that I have heard um, athletes mention about what makes that also makes that really tough right now is that your family can't be there. Right. And so because of the time difference, like Simone Biles, family, it's like 3 AM and they're trying to watch what's happening. And then they're on FaceTime afterwards. And then it's just, there's a weird delay because you're calling from like, it's just an odd situation. And that's, and I, I do think that this is, and we'll have to see if, this ends up being of like you'll get more articles on this or anything afterwards. But I do think that one of the things that people didn't give enough credit for, like what makes the Olympics cool for the athletes, is the social component of it. Mm-hmm. Now there are the things, the things about the Olympic Village aside, like just seeing people and just being able to go out and then experience whatever culture you are now immersed in for a couple of weeks. Like there is like missing that part of it um and just basically like you said with windhorse like you're not really in tokyo you're in your hotel you're in the gym and that's basically it because because think about it if windhorse can't go anywhere but the 7-eleven i can't imagine that any athlete can go do anything either yeah i mean like isn't isn't the olympics just basically a big celebration of sport like if you boil it down to it isn't that what it is and this isn't a celebration and i understand that like it's not going to be that way moving forward. This is, this is maybe hopefully a one-off because of COVID. Um, But like still, you know, it's, I I think, you know, there just needs to be more humanization of athletes because like, I don't know if you've ever had days like this, but I've had days where I've phoned it in and I've been like, man, I'm just not really feeling it. And you half-ass something because you're just, you're not really in the right mental headspace. Yeah. Like if you're not in the right mental headspace and you're half-assing something when you're doing like flips and cartwheels and all kinds of stuff in the air that could potentially, you could land like two degrees off where you're supposed to be and absolutely shatter your ankle. Like I can imagine why you might not want to be doing those things if you're not in the right headspace. So maybe I guess the, a more succinct way to, to try to say what I was trying to say earlier is just, um, maybe a little bit more appreciation for what kind of what's expected of these athletes and what's on their shoulders will we'll go a long way. Yes, absolutely. I think that that is, that is a very key takeaway um, from all of this. And, and I, I'll just say that I hope that that is more prevalent moving forward. We'll see. I always see I'm cynical, so <laughs> we'll see. Um, but shifting gears a little bit, um, you know, the college football world lost a titan of the sport uh, this weekend when legendary Florida State coach Bobby Bowden passed away at the age of 91. Uh, Bowden won two national championships while at Florida State in 93 and 1999. Um, he led the Seminoles to an NCAA record 14 consecutive seasons, finishing in the top five of the AP poll. Um, 
like before look like I did not realize that he only had one losing season um, in his entire time at Florida State. It was actually his first in 1976. And he also had 28 straight postseason appearances with Seminoles. Now, for some weird reason, as a kid, I watched a lot of Florida State football. I think it was because my uncle was a Florida State fan. And so we always just kind of have those weird attachments to teams as like a family member or like a friend of yours, like down the street, um, likes that team. So Florida State is someone that I actually watched a lot and I was fairly familiar with Bowden, even though I didn't know that um, only one losing season stat. But what I kind of want to talk to you about as as we lose kind of a, a, a kind of a like really, really big name in the sport is that. Something that I think I don't have not seen I've talked about a lot about kind of the first wave of remembrance of Bobby Bowden's life. And maybe that that's probably um, the right way um, to go about it. But like what he built at Florida State starting in 1976, when they were like nothing as a program to making them at one point, I don't know if they still are a blue blood program in college football. Like what I wanted to ask you was, is can that be done today? Like, is that is that possible? Could could a younger version of like a young like Urban Meyer, right? He's still young, but could a young Urban Meyer pick a school like that that's not on the map right now and build them into a blue blood program? Let's break that down. Maybe, maybe. Short answer. Um... Now, I would like to just say off the jump that like Bobby Bowden's time as a as a superpower in college football was like before I was born. So <laughs> this is my my commentary on this is going to be from somebody that watched it through like YouTube clips or read about him, not somebody yeah. that lived it. So like I think my parents were in high school in the 80s whenever he was doing this stuff just to just to kind of carbon date myself a little bit. Um, I think like from just the, the creativity he had with his teams, sure. You could replicate that Mm -hmm. from what do they make? Like 20, how many bowl games consecutively did they go to? Uh, It was a lot, 28, 28. Yeah, it was a lot. So from that standpoint, if we're going to measure like longevity from that standpoint, Virginia tech was on 27 heading into this past season. Um, so you can get there, but you, if you're talking about the, the, the 14 straight top five finishes, um, you know, maybe Nick Saban approaches that or Dabo Sweeney approaches that or something like that. But I think the, the thing that made um, Bobby Bowden's Florida state teams so much different was that he, I mean, he, he, not only said we will play anywhere at any time at any place he like he backed it up yeah <laughs> what did they, what did they go do i had i had this in front of me uh, a second ago um okay 1981 they had road games against nebraska ohio state notre dame pitt and lsu so like from a scheduling standpoint that that won't be done again unless we get this sec super conference right. um because they were an independent back then, were they not? Yes. Yeah. It was that was before they joined the ACC. So, like, I think that's the part of it where you're you're going to have a hard time seeing that sort of build again. Because 
I think there are only a, a handful of programs in college football right now that can that can really find success going the the independent route. Um, and if those teams do go the independent route, I don't know that they're going to partake in, in sort of the the scheduling um, nightmare that that Florida State partook in year in and year out with Bobby Bowden because. And, and, you know, that's the way that's the way that they wanted to build a program. They said, we're going to play the best of the best every single year. And that's how we're going to get our guys better. And it worked. And I don't know how many um, programs are going to look at that path of building and say, yeah, that's the path for us. Because I also don't think I mean, we're talking about like 80s, 90s. We're talking about, you know, Bobby Bowden was at Florida State for such a long time. Tom Osborne was in Nebraska for such a long time. You don't get coaching tenures like that anymore unless you are a Dabo Sweeney or Nick Saban and you're winning national titles three out of every five seasons. Like if you are, I was listening to a podcast the other day and somebody said that if Nebraska goes six and six this year, it's still not enough to save Scott Frost's job. And I was like, really? That's where we're at? So part of it is like coaches are decentivized from scheduling big time opponents. Coaches are decentivized from scheduling tough games out of conference, which we saw Nebraska try to get out of the Oklahoma game. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. you can't really fault Scott Frost thinking um, allegedly if, if he was wanting out of that game. So like from, from that standpoint, I think it's going to be tough. I, it was just really unique what he was able to do. It was really unique. And, and I don't know if it can be um, replicated again in this sort of, era of college football that we're in now maybe it like i said maybe if the sec forms into this like 30 team 32 team nfl like super league type deal uh and you have clemson and florida state and ohio state and and all these other big name programs from the other conferences plucked in and, and you're just playing this like murderous row of of opponents every week maybe maybe you could see that um but i also don't think you know i i think Part of it too, recruiting is so much more spread out. Um, and, you know, it, that's a wild thing to say, considering that like Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State get like the bulk of, of the prospects. But like, I don't think anybody can go into Florida and just lock down the state anymore. I don't think you can go into that state and just have a, a firm stranglehold over recruiting in that state. So, you know, I think that's part of it too. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like I almost think that you have to have there has to be a a a lot of factors and circumstances that all come together at the right time because some of this is timing, right? And that he, he started there Bowden did in 1976 and had this very long run um in which like you said had 28 straight post postseason appearances. Well, and it's harder to even do that. It's harder to even just be at a school for that long because in yeah. part, it's not even just that, yeah, expectations are changed and guys can get fired for having a down year or two, but also those guys will leave, right? And so you'll see that guy now, like Saban and Davo are kind of the exceptions to that, to that, but like basically everyone else, it feels like, is basically a revolving door of saying this coach is putting his name in for that job or this guy's agent. And it's kind of talking about like how every year we hear about Lincoln Riley and James Franklin 
who are doing great jobs at their current job. Like, would you, would you, like, you're not out here expecting that those guys are going to be at Penn State and Oklahoma, respectively, for 22 years. Like, it's just not, and it wasn't 22 that Bowden was there, it was more, but like, you just, just to put a random number on it, you don't expect them to be there for that long. So there's the longevity piece of it that I just think it might actually be the hardest part of it. But then there is the taking a school that was off the radar previously and then getting them so squarely on the radar that you finish in the top five 14 years in a row. Like, I, I don't know what school, like if we made a list, like what schools would even be eligible for that? Because honestly, the very first school that I was kind of thinking of would probably not count. It would be like UCF where like, but within that, you would have to then get them to get into a conference like Florida State did as well. Being in Florida helps because you're just closer to, you know, better talent. And if you recruit your state well, you're always going to be pretty good. But the rub with that is I don't think it's the same where like the ACC is itching to let UCF into the league. At this yeah, point. yeah. That's so the like, problem right yeah. there. Because because think about it's think about the announcement. Totally different. Yeah, think about the announcement UCF just made where they're like, we're finally going to play Florida. Like, How long did that take from, them to be able to do that? From UCF's side of things, you're like, we want to go that path, so we have to play those games. From Florida's side of things, it's like, why would we want to open ourselves up to that? Why would we want to allow you to potentially beat us? Like, we don't want to do that. We'd rather play, you know, Florida. Southeast Mississippi. <laughs> You know, like there's there's no incentive for us to do that. So like that's part of it. And the other thing, too, and this is a completely different uh, side of the conversation. I think it's funny when when um, we get into conversations like this with like. Who's the next Alabama or like specific to this conversation? Can we replicate what Bobby Bowden did at Florida State? Part of it. Is is like, well, you need Bobby Bowden to do (laughs) it. Like part of it is like, well. I mean, sure, you can try to be the next Alabama, but you need Nick Saban. Sure, like Nebraska can try to get back. You need Tom Osborne. Like part of it is like these guys are generational talents as coaches. And rightfully so, they are talked about as some of the greatest coaches of all time. It, and, it, and like when we talk about like, oh, well, was this replicable, replicable or was this like six, like period of success? Can they get that again? Part of it is like, sure, but the coach is also the the real key piece of it too. So like you can try to have some of the other things in place, but don't devalue what Bobby Bowden brought to the table because like, you know, you could get a UCF that's like, okay, we're just going to go the independent route. We think the, uh, the uh, group of five is falling apart. And so we're just going to play Florida. We're going to try to play Georgia. We're going to try to play, I don't know, Clemson. We're going to try to play as many big teams as we can. Like if you've got Josh Heupel as your head coach, it ain't working out. No. Or whoever their head coach is right now. Gus Malzahn, it ain't working out. You got to have. No, and I'm a Gus fan, but no, that's not the same. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just not the same. So like, that's part of it too. It's funny that as you were saying that, you know, the other team that I thought about that, and this comes up all the time, um, USC, like, why can't USC get back? Well, they don't have Pete Carroll anymore. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, he was kind of important. Texas. Kong for that whole thing. Yeah. Texas. Charlie yeah. Strong. And then 
weirdo and and now Steve Sarkeesian. <laughs> so as a side note, because as I have you here, what like do you think that the Sarkeesian thing is going to work? I don't know. It could. It might. Um, I also think that there are a lot of factors at play that make that job difficult for any coach that walks in the door. Yes. They, uh, they got problems down there. <laughs> they I got still, problems. I still often wonder if part of the reason it's one of my like favorite what ifs in college football history is like Nick Saban flirting with the Texas job. And I still wonder if that had more to do with what you just mentioned about the behind the scenes and the difficulty that like Nick Saban put the feelers out there or Jimmy Sexton is Asian, put the feelers out there, they didn't like the responses that they got about like how meddlesome the people behind the scenes would be. And Saban would never take that. Like, and I feel like while I bet the people at Alabama, like the boosters and stuff, like want to be involved they still ultimately defer to Nick Saban. And I don't think that that can ever be the case at Texas. Even yeah, for see, Nick Saban. You've kind of like boxed yourself in there because you that's the kind of coach you need to come in and say, this is how we're doing things. We're doing it my way. You need to shut up and get behind that. Uh, and, and not only have a coach that's willing to say that, but also have a coach with the cachet yeah. uh, to, to, for, for the people behind the scenes to respect that. Um, but you can't get that coach there. Right, because the coach doesn't want to deal with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they they have. I I mean, you know, maybe Sarkeesian is good. He was like okay at Washington, and and like you look at him, uh, but they, I mean, they were ready for him to be gone uh, at at the tail end of Washington, and and he's had a lot of talent around him ever since. So we'll see. Texas has talent, but it's it's probably not the same as Alabama talent, and he's got a lot of stuff that he's going to have to deal with. Yeah, we'll see. It's just fun. It's just fun when Texas is not good. Yes, but yes. Okay, I'm not going to say that I'm rooting for Texas to be back, but I like them kind of flirting with being back and then getting pulled back into reality. Like that's Maryland. Yeah, like I'm I'm a fan of that. Yeah, that's (laughs) what I like uh, when it comes to Texas. I like to see them think that they're about to take a step and be back and then get humbled all over again. Um, now, every week we, we end the show with my favorite segment of the show called Put Them On Blast, uh, where we basically put someone on blast for something that they did or said. Put them on blast. Uh, today, I am actually going with the NBA as a whole, like just the NBA. Um, tampering is, is the word that, that I'm going to think I can Oh, stop. And just, no, no, it's not oh, stop. But we're going to be on the other side. It has been a long time <laughs> since I've been on the other side from a guest uh, of Put Them On Blast. But... I guess the NBA, according to reports, is going to, and they are investigating potential tampering violations uh, involving the sign and trade deals, uh, involving the Bulls picking up Alonzo Ball and the Heat picking up Kyle Lowry. This is according to Woj over at ESPN. Uh, please report the news. Don't inject your weirdness into it. Uh, side note. Um, I guess that technically this is the correct thing to be doing. Because they do have rules, and I guess rules need to be enforced, air quotes. But, like, when are we just going to get rid of these dumb tampering rules? Like, I don't understand what they're okay. actually serving. Like, like, to me, like, I just think it all needs to go away because I just don't understand. Like, what is it? Is it uh, we're still kind of pretending that these deals aren't being made ahead of time, even though, was it? 
before it was before free agency. I think it was either Woj or Shams that tweeted out that the Heat were locked in on bringing Kyle Lowry into the team, though somehow free agency hadn't opened and we had the entire framework uh, to this deal. I would have maybe hit pause on tweeting all of that out. Um, but hey, that's just me. You guys got them in trouble. Um, but the NBA has to go on blast for even investigating this thing because I think that they should just investigate if tampering should even exist or not and just do away with that. Um, and stay tuned next week for my rant about the luxury tax and all of that. Like, we oh my god! <laughs> um, but that's a very like that's a very specific thing uh, because of my particular team. Uh, but that, that's okay. Tampering- you were paying one hundred and thirty million dollars for three play three players. I mean, Don't sit there and complain about the luxury tax. No, man, no. there's also no. this. I do not want to hear no, it. There are also teams that are that need to be spending more and actually trying to win. Looking at you, Mister Thunder, like you need to get that figured out too. We can't to get people tax. to come to. We can't get people to come to Oklahoma City in free agency. So we have to build through the draft, which is what the league wants. Yeah, the league, you, the league you, champion just did it that way. The league would prefer that teams build the way we are building and not the way that you guys built by just <laughs> pilfering pissed off players from other teams from the smaller markets. Um, the tampering rules are in place, by the way, as a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, air quotes, highly emphasized. We're helping the small markets. It really is, which is wild uh, to begin with, which is how like it's funny um, because like, <laughs> um, it, well, I've had now a couple of Bucks focused episodes. I had Miriam Fader on talk about her book about Giannis last week. Um, I've had my guy Sparky from Milwaukee on the show to talk about the Bucks and the Packers. So we've got a lot of like Milwaukee adjacent here, right? Um, in a weird way. And, Me too. Yeah, and there's been a lot of, like, Milwaukee Bucks Twitter was on fire for the last week about this whole tampering situation based on what happened to them last, was that last year? Man, yeah, yeah, it cost them Bogdanovich. Yeah, so, yeah, no, both of those things. Now you got me in a double rant because the ta- tampering should go away and we need to get rid of the luxury tax because, oh, by the way, if your Thunder drafts too well, then you're going to have to make a decision on being able to keep those guys because the damn luxury tax. That needs to go too. Double put them on blast today. It just, it just spreads talent around the league. I don't want to spread it around the league. I just want it in L.A. <laughs> Man. The truth came out. Did you <laughs> – the truth came out. <laughs> Did you enjoy – watching I, I set aside the Lakers fandom and all of the frustrations that came with this season. Did you enjoy this last NBA season? Uh, sad that is the frustration side. Yes, I did. The, the fact that we entered the playoffs having no earthly clue who was going to make it to the finals, let alone win the championship. Was that an enjoyable thing for you? Yes, it actually was much to my surprise, <laughs> which <laughs> is yeah. uh, point numero uno in the pros column for spreading talent around the league. Yeah, but you still don't. That doesn't guarantee that those teams are going to win. We saw Brooklyn load up. They didn't win. Right, because you had spread talent around the league. Because Milwaukee had talent. Because Giannis stayed in Milwaukee. Like, if if SGA becomes all-star, perennial all-star, and he's option one or option two on a championship team, and Josh Giddy is perennial all-star and option one or option two on a championship team, and we've got like three other first round, high first round draft picks, and we can only keep one of them. Like if we get a title out of it, I don't care. If we got a title out of the Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant saga, I, it would not matter to me in the slightest that we had to lose James Harden to get it. 
wouldn't yeah, care. That would have, yeah, that would have changed that completely. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care. And we were close to it. So, like, to me, it's not like, oh, the luxury tax cost us a title. To me, it's like Patrick Beverly being a punk cost us a title. And Kevin Durant quitting on us in game six of the Western Conference Finals cost us a title. Like, those are the things that cost us the title, not, not the luxury tax. Stop, don't complain about the luxury tax. I just think, I mean, the luxury tax is just hurting teams that want to actively spend to improve their roster. I don't no, know. I, that's how I, kinda, I don't know, man. I'm, get no, 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 no. It's not, no, it's not, it's not, it's not hurting teams. Because of the luxury tax. It's not hurting teams that want to win. It's hurting teams with weak ownership. The Warriors were fine paying the luxury tax. You know who is not fine paying the luxury tax? Tillman Fertitta with the Houston Rockets. That is true. Destroyed <laughs> the team because he didn't want to play the, pay the luxury tax. Which actually that's that's the problem. Not the tax. The <laughs> owners that are wanting to penny pinch when they own NBA teams, those are the that's the problem. Not the luxury tax, not the mechanism. The people that are that are afraid of the mechanism are the problem. I guess, but I also do think that I think your point is spot on about Fertitta. And I think that, and I, I, maybe that was a big story in Houston. I feel like that should have been like huge news because I feel like a lot of people that are plugged into the NBA saw that coming a mile away, that they yeah. were going to start selling players off basically for pennies on the dollar. Um, and it's exactly what happened just because of him, well, because of both him wanting to penny pinch, them not winning, and like what was happening with his other businesses, um, which is a bad combination for him. So I, after all of that, Derek, who are you putting on blast? Mine is also NBA related, which is funny. Um, yeah. But mine is, is just, mine is actually, and this is going to be like uh, friendly fire, probably a, a little bit. <laughs> mine is the, uh, how do I start this? So I was, I was watching a Denzel interview. A couple days ago, and this was an old interview. From training day. Oh yeah. Okay, my man. From training day. Okay, I was like, what? That's your, that's your Denzel identifiers from training day. Uh, not really. Like it's funny because I actually like I own like quite a few Denzel movies. It was just the first one that came to my mind. But yeah, that's that's great. That's I mean, it's it's fine. It's a fine identifier. Okay, I was watching a Denzel Washington interview. (laughs) This was not a new interview. It was it was older and like. Without any context, he was basically talking about how journalists don't care about being right. They just care about being first and all of the problems that that causes. And they don't care about the problems that that causes. Um, There's not an appreciation for what the report can do to the subject. There is only an appreciation for what me, myself, and I is going to gain by being first with the report. And this is like a problem that we face in journalism all the time. So like you see somebody like Rothstein, who is always first in college basketball, but you talk to anybody and his reputation is in the toilet because of it, uh, because he'll get messaged and, and with info and he'll say, Hey, wait for me to announce this. And then he doesn't wait. Um, so like the, the piece of it that, that really rubbed me the wrong way was all of the stuff about Shea Gildas-Alexander before the NBA draft. He's going to get traded. He's getting packaged. The Thunder are trying to move him. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. All of these people that I had never heard of until a few weeks before the draft that, that Quinn Stanley had blue check marks next to their name. Why can Hale Varsity not get a blue check mark on Twitter? I still Come can't on Twitter. get a response. We can't, we can't get a blue check mark, but whatever story for another day um 
Shea Gildas Alexander was offered to the Detroit Pistons for number one uh, as a package with SGA and number six. First of all, no, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. And second of all, if the Detroit Pistons get offered a a borderline all-star under the age of 23 and on a cost-controlled contract and the number six pick in the draft, they're not going to say no to that deal. So that was the first thing that happened. Then we were told that SGA and the number six pick were offered up to Cleveland for number three. Again, no, he wasn't. And why would Cleveland turn that down? And then we were told that SGA was offered up, along with the number six pick again, to Toronto for the number four pick. So we were going to give up a borderline all-star on a cost-controlled contract from a rebuilding team that cannot attract that all-star otherwise to move up two spots in the draft. That's what you're going to report? Like we like in the in the media, like we get fed stuff to report by people with agendas. And sometimes the agenda is just to see, is this person going to share that information? Sometimes the agenda is to is to create mistrust. And so, like, I was thinking about it. And I was like, what happens if all of these reports about SGA potentially being offered to all of these different teams? We were offering him in a bag of Cheetos <laughs> for nothing, for nothing. That's what it was. We had other picks we could have packaged to move up. What happens if he looks at all that stuff and, and has Sam Presti on his phone saying, no, no, I promise you, we're not trading you. I promise you. It's not happening. It's not happening. It's all false. What happens if he's just like, yeah, but I just have a little bit of doubt now. And then he leaves over something that got, that got made up. That stuff was not offered. It was not offered. And the people that ha- have a, a solidified reputation in NBA reporting said the same thing. It was not offered. He was not on the table. Somebody even said Oklahoma City had gone dark. So you've got, you've got these people over here that I've never heard of saying that SGA is being offered to every team in the top five. And then you've got somebody else who works for ESPN and, and is cited almost daily saying, yeah, Oklahoma City is not talking to anyone. So, like, I just it just bothers me when – because, like, you know, because we're in this business in the off season, when there's not stuff to write about, when you don't have stuff, you have to make your own content. And for newsbreakers, they, that's the off season is where you like make your name. And specifically with this NBA draft, like if Woj or Shams wasn't tweeting it, like it's not true. It's not happening. And those guys were saying nothing about Oklahoma city because no one knew anything about Oklahoma city. And so for these other people to be running around with, basically speculation passed off as, as news being reported is a problem. It's a big problem. And I don't know. It, it, the, that's the part of this uh, field that bugs me is because there's like a, there's a push to be first with news and you're wrong sometimes. And it causes problems sometimes when you're wrong. And I don't feel like there's, there's enough appreciation for that. Now SGA signed his contract extension with right. the Thunder. So much to do about nothing, but I don't know. It just feels like a, 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 a something in the profession that we got to figure out. It also makes for a, a really odd situation because you've had, and this happens all the time where guys report comes out that player X um, is being, um, held out there for trade fodder 
the team goes, the player goes to the team and says, hey, what's up with this? The team denies it. But then it turns out that they really were being shopped around, right? And so because of that, anytime a report like this comes out, there is going to be a level of mistrust between the player and the team. Yeah. Now, as you as we know, it turned out to where maybe SGA, like in his camp, really were like, hey, man, we, we are, we're in Presti, we trust. We know that he's not going to do this to us. We're about to sign this deal. Um, so it all worked out anyway. But it's just that that is – and, and I've seen this with, with the Lakers, right, with, with, the, with the baby Lakers before LeBron when they were in every trade discussion ever, and now it kind of all culminated this offseason and finally the last one, uh, which should have been the first one to go, uh, finally left in Kuzma. Like, it's – you know, so I've seen this happen, and it does affect teams. In that case, I do think that those guys were being shot. Um, so it's a little bit different where it wasn't made up, but either way, it ends up having an effect on you. Yeah. So I'm obviously biased because the Thunder of my team and because SGA is a superstar. A, a, no, I can't say superstar. He's a budding star on my team. So I'm obviously biased. But like, I was just looking at all of this and thinking, tell me you haven't watched the Thunder without telling me that you haven't watched the Thunder which is basically what it was. It was basically like we haven't actually watched Shea Gildas Alexander play basketball recently. So we're just, we're, I mean, we're just like this team that wants him told us that he wasn't worth a, a top five pick on his own, that the Thunder needed to package the number six pick with him. But this dude at age 22 averaged 25 points, six assists, five rebounds per 36 minutes on 51% shooting and 42% shooting from three. 22 years old. That dude is, that. that's the, the player that you hope the number three pick or the number four pick turns into. Right. Hell, that's the player you hope the number one pick turns into. Right. Like if you get offered that player and six for number one, you're not turning that down. Especially as a team, a, a, a different team that, has a hard time luring free agents as well. So like Detroit is not exactly going to go sign the top guy. So if they got that guy in a trade and six to have a shot at getting another potential all-star um, to pair along with him, like you would not, you wouldn't turn that down. Like it just no. wouldn't make sense. No, no. But like, I, I can't believe we ended up arguing about the luxury tax. I did not see that coming. That was a plot twist that I didn't see coming, um, but that's okay. We That's okay. You don't have you to not you can't be correct all the time. I mean, uh, how could you not expect me from Oklahoma City, <laughs> the small, literally the smallest market in the NBA, I mean, to not be for the luxury tax in relation to your dumb Lakers just <laughs> running up the largest tab in the league so that you can win championships? I cannot help it that people want to come to my team. I, I here's <laughs> here's what you want. Here's what you want. You want Man City PSG privileges. Yes. I actually thought that's who you I thought you were going to put PSG on blast. I thought that's what was going to happen. But yes, um, that is what I that is what I want. I want Messi to be happy. So if he gets to play with Neymar and, and some of his Argentinian buddies and, and be happy and win some stuff, I'm cool with that. I'm just very sad he's leaving Barcelona. But like my point is like those teams haven't won Champions Leagues. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm just saying City spent hundreds of millions of pounds and, and they ain't won a Champions League. You never know. Things could the, the tide could change. You never know. You yeah. never know. 
But that's okay. okay. That's fine. That's a good place to leave this today. We'll we'll continue this at another time. Uh, subscribe to the podcast everywhere you can listen to them, rate us, and leave us a five-star review. If you only leave four, I'm inclined to think you're a hater and no one wants that. Uh, make sure you are checking out the other podcasts on the Hill Varsity Network, the Mind Your Own podcast, Varsity Club with Derek Peterson, uh, the Nebraska Preps postgame show, and the Hill Varsity radio show. Also, check out the Hill Varsity YouTube page. You can find me and Aaron back on there. Uh, with the recruiting question of the week this week that actually came from Aaron. So you'll want to check that out. Um, and then you can also email the show at straight up breakdown at hailvarsity.com. I will catch you next week. A Media Production.